you guys. This is Heidi St. John. Thanks for joining me. Today is Monday, July 6th. This is episode 951. I'm so glad you guys are here. My friend, Pastor Phil Hopper from Abundant Life Church in Lee Summit, Missouri, is back with me in the studio today, and we are going to tackle the uh, issue of the end times. I know a lot of you guys are talking about it. This is an awesome time to be talking about it. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Hey, before we get started today, Bristol, Indiana. I'm coming your way September 11th and 12th. I will be in Bristol for my women's conference, Faith That Speaks. If you're new to the podcast, Faith That Speaks is a women's conference where we're going to learn to boldly declare who we are in Christ through time in God's word, through worship, and through conversation. There's never been a more important time for your faith to be a faith that speaks. So come and worship with us. Early bird tickets are on sale now. You can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash event for more information. Also, Our Bible study kicks off today. Come and join us for our new summer series, Even Now. We are studying profiles in courage from the Word of God. And uh, it always starts on the first Monday of the month, and that's today. So join us over at momstronginternational.com. I want to say uh, welcome to all of you guys who are new. We know that there are thousands of you listening to this who are new to the podcast. I'm so glad you guys are here. It is my heart to talk about the intersection of faith and culture and how does our faith impact the culture. And one of the, uh, I think, key voices in the discussion on faith and culture right now is my friend, Phil Hopper. He's a senior pastor at Abundant Life Church. Uh, We met through a mutual friend and uh, I started actually watching uh, his sermons before I ever met him. My friend was sending me, you know, uh, Steve Lambert was sending me enthusiastically sending me links every single Sunday. You got to watch this. And so I started watching and I found myself just uh, standing and applauding and amening, you know, all the way from Vancouver, Washington uh, to this brother who was so boldly proclaiming the word. And uh, we're going to talk about Revelation today. Phil is the author of two books on spiritual warfare, Defeating the Enemy and Weapons of Our Warfare. I will link back to both of those books in the show notes today. Uh, But he's got an incredible voice for such a time as this. And I'm so happy that you're here in person with me, Phil. Welcome back to the show. Always exciting to be with you, Heidi. Thanks again for the opportunity. You're so welcome. You have a passion to teach. I mean, you're a, you're a true teacher, right? Um, and as much as I've watched you online and watched your ministry and have been privileged to work with your ministry team, you're not only a teacher, you're also a shepherd. And this is evident uh, just to see uh, how you've grown the church and the respect that you have, um, I think, uh, endeared to yourself over time, you and your family. And one of the things that you have been passionately speaking out about is uh, getting the church ready for the end times. We alluded to this a little bit. Uh, on Friday when we were talking about Hebrews 10, 25, where the apostle Paul said, don't forsake the gathering, uh, especially now in the ESV and the, and the NLT, especially now those words are, as you see the day of the Lord approaching. And so why it's so important for the church to be gathering, uh, even if we have to go underground, which we very well could. I mean, I think that the signs are there. Uh, the church may be forced to go underground. So I would love to uh, talk to you for the next uh, 20 minutes just about what you see happening. Let's start in Revelation. How can we know? Here's a great question because it's going to get asked. How can we know that we're living in the end of days, in the end times? Uh, uh, so hit us with your best, like, And then we're going to link back to your series of Revelation because I'm hoping everybody will watch it. Yeah. So the Bible gives us, I think, a very clear template and timeline of events on God's prophetic clock. 
So there's a lot of details that we don't know. The interesting thing is prophecy is sealed. In fact, God told Daniel that his prophecy was sealed till the time of the end. Only at the end would it be reopened uh, and then fully revealed, meaning these ancient prophets were given a vision that they couldn't even fully understand. You think about John, who penned the book of Revelation. He's seeing things 2,000 years in the future for which words had not even been invented. Mm. And so we only now are beginning to connect the dots in the last century of these uh, ancient prophecies that we can say emphatically have happened in our lifetimes. Uh, Literally within uh, just the last hundred years, some of these prophecies that lay dormant uh, for hundreds of years. Uh, And so we live in difficult times, but yet exciting times, because unlike any other generation in all of church history, we can say emphatically that there is not one biblical prophecy left that has to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. I'm going through Second uh, Peter right now. In Second Peter chapter three, we'll get there later this summer as I'm preaching through this little three chapter book. You know, Peter said, "But many will come in the last days, scoffing, mm-hmm. saying, where is the promise of His coming? For all things continue today as they have from the beginning.' Well, it's just silly. All things haven't remained the same. Right? Not everything is the same. Many things have changed." Which is why we know we're living at the last of the last days. And Jesus gave us in Luke twenty one twenty four a super sign to look for. In Luke twenty one twenty four, Jesus said that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. For two thousand years, Gentiles controlled the streets of Jerusalem. The holy people, the Jews, were not in their holy city. They were expelled from the land of their forefathers, the land of Israel, 135 A.D., legally could not return for 2,000 years. The Romans drove them out, and legally they could not return. They changed the name from Israel to Palestine, Mm. Philistine. The Romans were trying to erase any memory of the Hebrews ever having been there. And Well, if you know anything about Old Testament history, you know the Philistines were trying to conquer the land the same time as the ancient Hebrews. They wanted that same land that flowed with milk and honey in this ancient day of agricultural economies. And so the Romans changed the name to the land of the Philistines or or Palestine. That was the land for 2,000 years until at the end of the Balfour Declaration at the end of World War I, the Ottoman Empire had controlled the Holy Land for 500 years, the Ottoman Turks. And in the Valley of Armageddon, the Jezreel Valley, there was a battle between the British and the Ottoman Turks, and the British won. You've heard the old saying, history repeats itself. Yeah. Well, it will, because that famous valley, the Valley of Armageddon, is the very place the armies of the world will gather shortly before the second coming of our Lord Jesus. Well, they gathered uh, in that very valley at the end of World War One. The British won that battle in the Valley of Armageddon, and that ended the Ottoman Empire. And the Arabs no longer had control of the Holy Land. And Israel, the Holy Land, became a colony of Great Britain. And at the end of World War I, Lord Balfour signed a declaration allowing the Jews to begin returning to their homeland for the first time in 2,000 years. And they began flooding back legally for the first time to the ancient land of Israel. And the clock exactly. began to in, tick. In direct prophecy fulfillment of what we had seen over and over again promised that one day in Matthew 24, that fig tree Jesus speaks of, learn the parable of the fig tree. 
when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, so you know that summer is near, so all these things will be fulfilled. That generation that sees that fig tree put on leaves would not die. They would still be alive. The fig tree in the Bible is the symbol of the national life of Israel. And for 2,000 years, the fig tree would lie dormant. It had this appearance of death. It was not alive. And remember, Jesus had cursed the fig tree yes. just about three chapters earlier, and it went dormant because it had leaves but no fruit. And Jesus prophetically curses it, and it immediately takes on the appearance of death. And for 2,000 years, Israel looked as though they were dead. They were dormant. They were a people without a place. But God promised to one day regather them from the nations, and they did at the end of World War I with the Balfour Declaration. The fig tree began putting on leaves, a sure sign that that tree was coming back to life. What happens at the end of World War II? Britain decides we don't want it anymore. Uh, it's too much to hang on to. Here you go. Here you go, Jews. If you want it, you can have it. It's yours to hang on to. What year is that? It's 1948. They were reborn as a nation. That's when most prophecy scholars would argue that the fig tree put on its leaves from 1948. Now, people ask, well, could it be 1967 when they took back Jerusalem? Possibly. Those two signs, though, prophetically tell us that we, the generation of believers today, unlike any other generation before us, could live to see the second coming of Christ. You have the super sign in 1948, Israel miraculously reborn as a nation. Never happened in all of human history. No nation has died to be resurrected 2,000 years later. But God promised in the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel saw it, those dead dry bones would come back to life, and they did. But they still didn't have Jerusalem in 1948. That wouldn't happen until the end of the Six Days War in 1967. With that, biblically speaking, prophetically, there was nothing left that had to happen. Mm -hmm. So fast forward now. It's 50 years plus since 1967, which means every year since, every day since, we're living on borrowed time. That's right. We're living on borrowed time. Very quickly, this is the times of the Gentiles are coming to an end. Uh, The Jews rejected their Messiah. So God temporarily put them on a shelf, hit hit hold. Like a timeout? Like a timeout. And then he turned his attention to the salvation of the Gentiles. Paul used that term in Romans 10. The salvation of the Gentiles, Jesus said, is now coming to an end when the Jews took back control of that holy city, Jerusalem. And very soon he's going to turn his attention from this age of grace or the church age the salvation of the Gentile nations, back to the Jews, the salvation of Israel. And that happens during the tribulation with 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe miraculously receiving their Messiah, whom they've crucified. They go forth preaching the gospel to all nations, which is why at the end of Revelation 7, John sees not just 144,000 Jews, but every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So how do we know we're living in these last days? We've seen the prophecies fulfilled in our lifetime. Now, take our current circumstances. We know that everything is happening to prepare the props and the players positioned on the platform for what Jesus prophesied as the great tribulation in Matthew 24, a time that has not been seen since the beginning of the world or will ever be seen again. 
We know in Revelation 13, there has to be a reset of the world system. Revelation 13, you have a one world economic system. Careening. We are careening Mm -hmm. toward that right now. We really are. We are a hair's hair's breadth away. Yes. The world economies are already linked intricately. If it hiccups in New York stock exchange, it, it, it burps in Tokyo. I mean, it is already related. A world economy is already here. The only thing you don't have in this world economy is a one world currency. Getting there. Well, there's only one currency in the world that stands in the way. That'd be what? Whose currency would that be? Hmm. Would that be ours by any chance? The one that says in God we trust. That's right. That's exactly right. And so uh, we know that something has to happen to hit a reset on the world system. In Revelation 13, you have a one world economic system, a one world currency. It's associated with what John says is a mark. Remember, he's seeing things for which language hasn't been emitted. Uh, He's seeing something he calls the mark of the beast for which there is no term in his day to fully describe what he's seeing. But this mark that he sees is a banking system because nobody can buy, sell, or trade without it. Uh, We also know that it's how people will be tracked, their movements, because the false prophet makes an image of the beast, and the entire world must worship the image of this man, the first beast. How will they know who worships and who doesn't, except that they know where people go? So uh, I want to stop you really quickly, uh-huh. because a lot of the questions that we're getting, you know, and I, I see this back and forth on social media, people talking about the mark of the beast, yeah. and we're going to accidentally get the mark of the beast. No, you're not. No. When you get it, you'll mm-hmm. know exactly Absolutely. what it is. Is that right? So they're not going to be fooled no, into getting it. They're no, not no, going to no, go, no. There's no fear oh, hey, I, I had no idea. Mm-mm. I took the mark of the beast, but I didn't know it. Uh, that's not. It's not going to work that no, way. You're going to know way. this will have everything to do with the worship of, of, a, of a human being. Sure. And it's not going to, they're not going to spring it on you. No. No, no they're not going to sneak it, it in on you. It won't be covert. Now, you got to remember what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 24. The, the, the Antichrist will deceive masses. And Jesus said this, beware of false Christs and false prophets who will deceive many with great signs and wonders that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Meaning there's going to be such a time of deception and distortion that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Well, here's the point. It's not possible for the elect to be deceived. That's the point Jesus is making. He said if it were possible. If it were possible, yeah. even they would be deceived. Meaning... The Antichrist, whoever he is, is not going to look anything like you imagine. He's not going to have 666 tattooed on his forehead. Mm-hmm. He's not going to have a pitchfork and two horns coming out either. He's, he's going to be a charismatic, he's be an angel of compassionate, light. exactly, is yeah. what Paul said. Beware, because Satan is a dark angel, but he transforms himself into an angel of light. Yep. Something's going to happen that's going to create such cataclysm among the nations economically and politically, and out of the ashes, a leader emerges. I personally think the cataclysm is the rapture of the church. Imagine the rapture 
Imagine 25 million people suddenly disappearing. So this is you, from the United your States. position on this, yeah. and you and I would agree on this, mm-hmm. uh, is a pre-tribulation rapture, right? I mean, that's what you're yeah. alluding to. I'm is convinced the, of the it. Church, we're almost out of here, yeah. is what you're saying. Like, uh, the Lord's going to come back again, yeah. uh, and we're going to be raptured. So I did a message I creatively entitled The Rapture. <laughs> <laughs> that was that yeah, was a was that creative. was a shocking new title. It, five biblical reasons I'm convinced it's a pre-tribulational rapture. Now there are people who disagree, and there are biblical reasons they do, mm-hmm. but I, I'm convinced it's a pre-trib rapture, mm-hmm. primarily because uh, Jesus has taken our wrath for us on the cross as the bride of Christ. He's when not, you read, we were not destined for wrath. Correct. Yeah. Jesus took our wrath. That's right. And there, there are five other reasons. I don't have time to explain it all right now. But but uh, even if, let's say I'm wrong about that. And, and I'm, I guarantee I'm wrong about something, Heidi. And, and, <laughs> what? And if I live to see the Daniel 927 peace covenant signed, that's what starts the seven-year countdown toward Armageddon. It's not the rapture. It's the signing of the peace treaty of Daniel 927. The Antichrist will broker a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and her enemies. If I'm alive to see that... You're going to start your clock. I will publicly say I'm sorry. I missed it. I'm wrong. Here's the point. <laughs> I'm ready to get raptured. I'm ready to go through tribulation. Yeah. I don't care. Either way, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going through the tribulation. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say we can't go through a lot of tribulation. I believe the church will go through intense tribulation even before the rapture. Jesus takes us out because of the rapture. In the same way he raptured Enoch in Genesis 5 as a picture of the church before he brought worldwide judgment in the days of Noah. Mm -hmm. I believe we are raptured so that we will not be here for that worldwide judgment coming. Okay? Uh, What are we seeing currently? We're seeing the props and players position. For that seven-year tribulation, political and economic Absolutely. system, there's a world leader emerges, and out of the ashes of that cataclysm, crisis always creates leadership. How did Napoleon come to power? Economic cataclysm in France. People were starving. Uh, how did Hitler come to power in Germany? Economic cataclysm. The German mark was worth nothing. They were wheeling Barrelful, wheelbarrowful of dollars into the marketplace to buy a loaf of bread. People will follow any leader that can help them feed their children. Well, you're looking at a scenario where the world economies have collapsed. That is the reset. And I believe it's the rapture that is the death nail on this world system. Imagine millions of people disappearing suddenly. Panic, pandemonium. And out of the ashes, a world leader emerges that unites the nations. By the way, what is the stated goal of the United Nations from its inception? To unite the nations. They aren't trying to hide anything. Devastating. Well, and it has devastating implications. It does. And I think oftentimes the church, we don't, we're not educated about what's happening in the United Nations. It's very interesting to see where, the, where President Trump stands mm-hmm. with the United Nations and his open now disdain for them, mm-hmm. which as you watch what's happening politically here in the country right now, so this is a fascinating time to be alive. Mm-hmm. I'm not having very much fun, I have to say, but it is a fascinating time to be alive. And you're, we're watching these movements happen. Absolutely. It's like you're watching prophecy 
prophecy fulfilled right before your eyes. We're watching. It's not a pandemic in the United States. It's a global pandemic, Correct. or as Heidi's called it, a scamdemic, because there's mm-hmm. so much of it that I'm just like, that's garbage. But it doesn't matter because it's affecting the entire world, Correct. leading toward a new world order, which yeah. is what so many of the globalists have been pushing for. Barack Obama was a globalist. Hillary Clinton is a globalist. There are many globalists right now in uh, United States government. And who stands in their way? President Trump. Mm-hmm. Standing in the way of this global agenda. Is it any surprise at all that the gates of hell have been unleashed against him? Any surprise at all? You wa- we're watching what's happening economically. I heard from a friend of mine who lives in Arizona a couple of days ago. She said they're having a change shortage. She went to get uh, she went to get ice at her local, you know, little like a 7-Eleven, gave them a dollar. Ice was 60 cents. They did not have 40 cents to give her back. Mm. And the banks were watching an upset in the banks that are happening. Uh, in, and this is happening uh, in several states right now. An interesting thing happening with our economy, happening with our currency. And because of the Rona, lots of businesses are saying, we don't take cash anymore. No cash for you. They're moving to a cashless society. And I'm looking at my husband going, this is like we knew this was coming, right? But there's a part of us like, now nah, we're not going to live to see it. You know, yeah. my grandmother. I grew up listening to my grandmother teach the book of Revelation. So I grew up. She was a, a Bible scholar, and her focus was on Revelation. If she was here right now, hmm. she would be losing her mind. She'd she be would. so excited. She'd be camping out <laughs> in the front yard. She'd move her bed out there. <laughs> She'd be waiting for the trumpet. And I think that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Like to me, this should be a time for the church to be ready for the bride to be getting ready for yes. the return of Christ. And I, I guess I'm going to ask you in the uh, three minutes that we have left, uh, the best way right now for Christians who are listening to this to be ready, to get ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. First John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And brethren, it does not yet appear what we shall be. For we shall be like him when we see him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. As the bride of Christ, it's a day to be purified. Uh, He's coming for a chaste virgin bride, not a bride that has compromised with the world, that has slept with the world, that has slept with sin. There's a harlot bride, Revelation 17 tells us, left after the true bride is gone. The harlot bride of the church of Revelation is a church that has become a harlot. She has mixed true Christianity with paganism. We already see that happening in the church today with 80% of American churches prostituting the truth with the lies of the enemy. The true church is to be a separated church, a chaste church. It's a day to pursue uh, holiness and separated from from the world. But listen, it's also an age... That is difficult, unprecedented most of our lifetimes, but an age of unprecedented opportunity to take new ground for God, new ground for the kingdom. Listen, this is not an age uh, just to retreat uh, and try to wait it out and hide until Jesus comes back. This is an age to take ground. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Matthew so, 16, 18. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let, let's have an advanced mentality instead of a retreat mentality. Mm-hmm. 
until we see him, until he comes. I love that too, uh, uh, Jesus saying that to Peter. You know, listen, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not conquer it. Right. I think it's easy for us to feel discouraged. It's easy for us to look around and just say, you know, what's uh, look at all of this is happening. I know for me, I have been discouraged lately, frustrated by what I see uh, in the church. You talk about a church as, as a harlot. You know, I was telling Krista, you can go into downtown Portland and see the, the homosexual flag waving in front of so many of our churches and the heart of God must be broken. I wondered as he looked down and, and and weep at what we have done to our witness, what we have allowed. You know, I I keep thinking of you were talking about all the different things that we we take the gospel and right the gospel and social justice. So certainly, we're watching the church swept away by a a lot of leaders right now, swept away by the gospel of social justice. Mm-hmm. And we've forgotten what we're here to do. Right. Right. It has to be about the gospel and that chaste church. It's a time for the church, a call to repentance. Yes. To say, Father, forgive us. We have sinned yes. against you. How can we uh how can we turn the the ship around? And I think we do it by living as God told us to live, to be committed fully to the inerrancy of scripture. When when God says something in his word, he means it. Yes. And to take it, to take him at his word. You know, we you and I have talked about this, you know, over the years that churches right now are doing theological and doctrinal backflips Mm -hmm. to arrive at positions that are really uh, in opposition to what the word of God teaches. And if you're in a church like that, I mean, listeners, if you're in a church that has compromised the Bible, now's the time to run from that church. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the encouraging thing, listen, I've been honest too. listen, I've been just downright depressed at times. I've had, I've had moments in the last two or three months of deep discouragement, how can you not be when you look at the world? Can you imagine the heart of God? Yeah. I mean, I think as a believer, we carry the heart of God. Mm-hmm. He's broken hearted for uh, our nation and the nations. Uh, at the same time, listen, God hasn't stopped moving. He hasn't stopped marching. He hasn't stopped healing and redeeming and saving and setting people free. And at the same time, there are riots. There is revival. Mm-hmm. And we know there's an end times revival takes place in the tribulation, begins with 144,000 Jews, Revelation chapter seven. They take it to all the nations, tongue, tribe, people and nations. I'm convinced that we are near enough to the tribulation, to the rapture, that we could see the front end of that revival. The spirit of God is moving even now. And so, uh, yeah, discouraged over the sin and the distortion and the deception and the spirit of antichrist that seems to be on the move. And it just feels like righteousness is retreating and wickedness is winning. But we have to remember we are on the winning side. That's right. That's right. When you're on God's side, you are on the winning side. Yeah. Yeah. So keep your eyes on the long view, not the short view. Yeah. I love that. And I think uh, it's a reminder. I so love your heart because this is where that shepherd in you is so, so very clearly seen. So you've done a great job of teaching. You know, this is what the Bible says. This is what we're looking at. And then the shepherd in you says, I know this is hard, right? Who Jesus totally understood, right? Jesus was the one who wept in the garden of Gethsemane, so full of anxiety over what was coming that he literally sweat drops of blood. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. And I think for if I, you know, I, I'm talking to so many people right now who are on the verge of tears all the time. You know, they did live at this, like this level of, it doesn't take anything to make me cry. And that's yeah. how I am right now. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, just because our hearts are broken for what we see happening yeah. and God understands that you bet. he understands our weakness. He understands our sorrow. Uh, you know, we've been saying for years over here, if it breaks God's heart, it should break our heart. Amen. too. And so if your heart is broken, 
Uh, God is saying to you, listen, I, he, he identifies with that brokenness. He identifies with it. And he says, I've given you my spirit. Right. Uh, and he didn't come like, as he doesn't give us peace, like the world gives us. So that peace that passes understanding is a peace that we can have even in a time right now where we can clearly see anyone who's got any discernment at all, any spiritual eyes to see can see we're coming up on something big. Right. And God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. My peace I'm going to give to you, not as the world gives. He mm-hmm. said, I have a different kind of peace. Mm-hmm. And we have access to that as believers. And we're going to have access access to it until the Lord comes again. And that mm-hmm. gives me comfort. Amen. Uh, and also knowing one of the reasons I love uh, you so much and your wife is just this, this camaraderie of saying, it's okay for us to say that this is hard. And then we link arms and we say, greater is he who's in us That's than right. he who's in the world. And uh, we're going to, we're going home. Amen. And I'm living for that, man. Yeah. I really am. Like I'm waiting for the trumpet. I think it's been too easy as Christians in Western civilization. We get the, the, this world is our home. Mm-hmm. So we live for the now. Mm-hmm. We live what we can see. And we know heaven's going to be great. That's awesome. But that's so much later. I, I don't have to. No, 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 no. We need to have the long view. Yeah. If all you have is the short view of now, it's it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. Have the long view, the eternal view. We are priests and kings, Revelation 1, 6. We are priests and kings, Revelation 5, 10. And we shall reign on the earth. There is a kingdom that is coming that will be without end. No more suffering, no more sin. And life is but a vapor. Mm. And in a blink, we're going to be standing before him. Mm -hmm. Take heart, prepare yourself. Don't waste your life. Live with an advanced mentality. We're not going to retreat in the face of the evil and the depravity. Uh, we're going to take more ground for the king until the king comes and take mm. what's left. Mm. That's right. And and be encouraged because we're going to win this thing. I love it. You said anyone who's read to the end of the book, that's what Billy Graham used to say. I read to the end. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. Yeah, We're going to be okay. And in the meantime, we have an opportunity to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, to be that bride that is chaste and ready to mm-hmm. uh, to have him call us home because that's what we're waiting for. And that's encouraging. Amen. And in the meantime, uh, I'm thankful for voices like yours. I think more important probably now than ever just to be able to stand in the gap and, and shepherd God's people through such a time as this. So thank you so much. It's encouraging. Uh, I, I want to point people, you you have recorded it's a couple of years ago now, right? Yeah. Recorded a series on mm-hmm. Revelation as a, at the well. And you and I've been watching this with my family. Mm-hmm. Like I'm filling up notebooks from uh, watching this. Where can people find that teaching if they want to hear it? It's livingproof.co and go to our sermon page and they'll see uh, the whole Revelation series there from start to finish, line by line, verse by verse. They can also go to philhopper.org and they can find uh, the Revelation series there. It was about a two-year project altogether. There were a so, lot of videos. A lot so of videos. So if you think you're going to go there and mm-hmm. watch it in the evening, uh, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm encouraging you, and we've been doing this for a long time. They can also get access to handouts and things like that, right? And uh, I think, like, it used to be a great thing to do. Like, on a Thursday night, just start a group in your house. Say, look, every Thursday night we're going to watch this video. You guys are going to be amazed at uh, the unfolding that happens. I mean, I grew up listening to Revelation from my grandmother and I'm listening to you and I hear echoes of her and I mm. have wept listening to your teaching mm. because it's truth. Yeah. It's truth. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. The Lord's coming back for us. Brighton's yeah. coming back soon. And, Revelation, uh, it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. Everybody thinks that's a scary word, apocalypse. It sounds like doom and gloom. No, yeah. apocalypse, that word means unveiling. Mm. Revelation is where Jesus is unveiling the last days. 
And everybody thinks, uh, you know, Revelation is full of bad news. No, for the believer, if you're the, a believer, it's full of good news. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, the idea there's good news means there's also bad news. If you don't know Jesus, Revelation is really bad news. It's about the judgment of God falling finally mm. upon men and women who have rejected the grace of God. But on the other hand, for those of us that know Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We've been born again. Amen. We have a different father. We're in a different family. It is an unveiling of the kingdom of God that's going to be without end. It's full of good news. Mm. It should be something encouraging to us all. Yeah. Exciting times ahead for sure. Uh, Phil Hopper, my friend, you're a gift. Uh, to the Christian community, for sure, to uh, to Lee's Summit. I'm a little jealous, uh, but I'll keep watching you online since I can't go. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming all the way uh, to the studios from uh, Kansas City. We really appreciate it. It's exciting you. to be here. We're so thankful, Heidi. God bless you. You too. For more information on Pastor Phil Hopper and his ministry, I will link back to it in the show notes today. If you guys have questions, please submit them to me at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. Don't forget, brand new Bible study starting today at MomStrongInternational.com. You can join over 17,000 women studying the word of God with me. You guys, there is hope and healing and it's found in Jesus. Stay faithful, everybody. And I'll see you back here tomorrow. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.